I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Today's conversation is absolutely mouthwatering, and that's because I have this marvelous conversation with Michael Dolan, the CEO and founder of Mahenta Tequila. If you haven't heard of this product, I am sure by the end of this conversation, you will want to trial it. Mike started with a blank sheet of paper, and he had a lot to bring to his vision of having the highest quality tequila that was authentic, that had ingredients that were traceable, as well as transparent. He also knew how to market because his background, extraordinary. CEO of Bacardi, CEO of International Management Group. He was at Viacom. He was the CEO and chairman of YNR, so he knew about marketing and branding. He also knew about strategy because of his years at Booz Allen. Mike will talk to us about having a blank sheet of paper and what did he want to do with that? He wanted to make sure that no detail was too small to create the quality of the liquid as well as how it gives back to the land, the culture, and the people of Mexico. But he went beyond that. He wanted to create a product that was carbon neutral, eco-friendly, and not just a term, but actually delivering on that. And it would capture the artistry of the flavor of the best tequila Mike is going to talk about all that he has invested and his very deep authenticity to this brand and why he's doing it. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you, Carol. It's a delight to be with you. And and I just want to say to our listeners, it's earlier in the day here. We're not going to drink now, but after <laughs> you hear this conversation, um, I am already I am ready to go out and to buy some of your wonderful tequila. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into it. So, Mike, talk a little bit about your career and also why now. Why are you creating your entire brand new company? I've had a variety of different uh, careers, and I'd like to say it was all carefully planned out, and uh, which would not be true. It, it's all sort of happened uh, by the chance and bumping into people, opportunities arising, uh, uh, stepping from one thing literally into another. And uh, I was IMG, at IMG for a number of years. I worked with Teddy Forsman, who's an incredible you know, iconic character. And I was Teddy's CFO. And then when Teddy fell ill with cancer, he named me the uh, CEO of the company. So Teddy eventually died of the cancer, uh, you know, a terrible form of cancer, glioblastoma, which is what um, Senator Kennedy had as well. And at that point, the state decided to unravel all of the investments that Forsman Little had, One, the major one of which was IMG. IMG was sold. Uh, the day we closed uh, the uh, transaction on IMG and we were sold to uh, Endeavor, Ari Emanuel's company, and I spoke to Ari, got on the plane, flew down to a board meeting at uh, Bacardi, and I had been on the board for probably the prior eight or 10 years. And everyone at the board said, uh, hey, what's the update on IMG? What's going on with IMG? And I said, sold, it's gone. Deal closed, 
this morning. Mm. And the chairman, uh, Fecundo Bacardi, Fecundo said, well, why don't you help us? Uh, <laughs> you know, you're free. We, we had just parted company with the prior CEO. And he said, why don't you come in, help us sort this out? And, um, and I said, happy to do it. And, and literally that day, I was the CEO of Bacardi. And I stayed uh, there for probably close to four years as CEO. Really enjoyed it. I mean, it was great fun. Great. Uh, it's a great family. It's a, it's a great board. It was uh, a terrific insight into the industry for me. Uh, so that when I did eventually leave, and I think it was the end of 2016, uh, I had this affection for the industry and wanted to kind of continue my involvement in it. And that's, that's what led to Mahenta. Fantastic. That, that's a and very positive and a very fascinating story. So Mahenta. So let's talk about the origin story of, of that. I was thinking about this and, and, you, you know, when you are the CEO of a company like Bacardi with multi-billion dollars in revenues and, the, you know, just a, a company that's been around, a brand that's been around for 160 years, 160 years. And there aren't many of them, right? Your job is really more custodial, right? You're in, you're in charge of the family jewels. And you're sort of the chief jewel uh, protector. When I left, what I wanted to do was something that was more of a clean sheet of paper, where you could say, okay, we're out of the custodial business. Uh, now we're into a business of entrepreneur. And how do you build something from absolutely nothing? And that was the challenge I kind of set for myself. And you also have some co-founders. So how did you how did you find your co-founders? And then how did you, you know, you're, you've got a clean sheet of paper. And so why, I'm really, and our listeners are very curious. They're going, okay, spirits industry, interesting background, strat, strategy guy. He's been a custodian, but now there's something very different about your new venture. Totally. And what I wanted to do from the beginning was to say, hey, what if we built something in this very exciting category called tequila, and particularly the higher-end segment of uh, tequila? It begins with great liquid, because that is the uh, sine qua non uh, of, the, of the venture. The liquid has to be great and superlative, and ours is. And then layering on top of that, this uh, commitment to cutting edge uh, sustainability and uh, and social give back. So that was the premise that that we began with. And just to go back to the co co founders for a moment, I I I, I took someone who I knew from um, my Bacardi days, someone who was a, really an expert in tequila, uh, had traveled extensively in Mexico and. Uh, uh, Juan Coronado. And I, I said to Juan, I'm interested in this, but I really want to meet a lot of people in Mexico. I want to meet master blenders. I want to meet the distillers. I want to do a lot of homework before I start. So he was uh, my guide to that. And then the the other uh, co-founder, at least some, is uh, someone who comes from outside the industry. Actually, she was a furniture designer, but someone who uh, had a really 
strong commitment to sustainability. And she had done a project for me when I was at Bacardi uh, that was using repurposed glass in a very, very creative way. I loved it. Loved the project. Uh, Those are really the two platforms. You know, someone who really knew the category and someone who didn't know the category but knew a heck of a lot about uh, sustainability. So great. You did your homework. You've got a very varied um, team. So what? let's just cut right to the chase. Why is it important to launching this new company? So, you know, part of it was an effort on my part to be at the cutting edge in the industry on sustainability. But, you know, if you look at the bottle, the glasses, uh, you know, second, third, fourth generation used uh, glass, uh, there's no cork in, in the in the bottle. Uh, it's all glass, so the the machining of that uh, the cork into the bottle itself has to be dead perfect. The paper that we use is really not paper. It's it's repurposed from the used agave leaves. If you run your finger over the label, you can feel the grain in the in the paper. So. We we did that, and then funnily enough, about a year or two later, Elise was down with the the company, the 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 company that produces this paper for us, and they said, uh, Elise, we've had three or four other major companies come to us, and they all say, Hey, we want that paper, and 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 I said to Elise, You've achieved success. This is exactly what we want. We want others to follow. We don't want this to be a state secret. We want there are no secrets here. We want everyone to copy what we're doing, and uh, and everything we've done, Carol, has been how do we how do we position ourselves at the cutting edge? The box, by the way, I don't know if you have the box in front of you, but when you see the box, the box is a little bit flimsier. It doesn't have chemicals in it. The the material it's used paper. But it doesn't have any chemicals. It doesn't have glue. And what it does as a result of that is it makes it more biodegradable more easily. And what I always tell people is, hey, if we can afford to do it, uh, why can't the big guys do it? So we're in the business of provoking them uh, in a good way, in a, in a well-meaning way, into being better corporate citizens. I'm just very curious about... At this point in your career, you want to be almost a rabble rouser. You said, I don't want to keep this a secret. I want to show how it's done. I want to scale it. So why is that important to you? And why is that important in for our society? The benefit is to have people who have been involved in these industries, who take the knowledge of the industry and then use that for good purposes. And I think it's very hard for people who are complete novices to come in and have a successful brand in this industry, even if your intentions are all the best in the world. So you can come in and say, uh, you know, my intentions are pure, but they don't know enough about the industry to be successful. What I've been trying to do is marry the two together and take people who really know the industry, combine them with people who don't know the industry. And that really, I think, is uh, the value of bringing in outsiders, outside, I mean, real outsiders coming in with fresh eyes and combining them with people 
who are insiders who are willing to collaborate with outsiders, that's when you get magic. Uh, I love that. Okay, so let's, I want to talk about, because to our listeners, um, Mahinta is a B Corp. It is. And you did, you did that really fast. I mean, you, you were founded in 2020 and you earned your B Corp status by 2022. So why did you, why did you want to become a B Corp? Well, you know, it's perfectly aligned with our mission and and by the way, we think it took a long time. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, awesome. I'm always burst out laughing when you said you did it quickly. You did. Um, it took us at least a year or 15 months. Uh, it's an exhaustive process, but it was completely aligned with our ethos. So you know, we were we were really delighted to be the first uh, tequila to be B Corp certified. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, yeah. So we, we love that. And by the way. You know, we go around, we talk to people and, you know, you talk to people like Whole Foods, you know, we're in Whole Foods now. And uh, that that may have been one of the most important factors for why they it was certainly one of the top three for why they why they chose us uh, uh, to be in their in their portfolio. We've had some of those uh, same conversations with people in Europe. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the woman who is our brand ambassador in London, uh, who's great. And, uh, I said, how do you describe us and what do you say? And I always talk about there's no additives. There's no extra sugar. There's no glycerin. There's no coloring. There's no tricks that have been put into the liquid. And she said, no, I don't talk about that. I said, you don't. I said, well, well, what do you talk about? She said, I talk about B Corp. And she said, as soon as I talk about B Corp, I've got them. Well, that's good. We've had B Corporation on the pod. Have you? And yes, and their new CEO. And um, it's great that the recognition is growing and growing, growing around the world. So, so I want to flip back a bit. What what is the name Mihenta me to you? It means it's a it's a, a a version of Mihente my people. So, uh, and we, we altered the E to an A just to give it a, a bit of a differentiation. But what it reflects is our commitment to uh, the culture of Mexico, to the people who make it, uh, the, the people, the Himidoras who cut these agaves, which are in backbreaking work. Uh, and, uh, you know, the people who um, really produce the product. So it's our commitment to them, it also reflects the brand itself, and you know this is, you know, if you're in Mexico and you go out for dinner, you're just as likely to have tequila with dinner as a wine, almost in lieu of wine. So it's not college boys doing shots. It's it's really part of a meal. It's part of the social ambiance, you know, of a. Uh, a group of people having um, a meal together, sharing food, sharing good conversation, sharing laughs. And it's that ethos that is captured by uh, my people. That's great. That's really, really a lovely, lovely name. So what is the purpose of Mihenta? The purpose is to really set a standard for good behavior. You have to start somewhere, right? Where we have started is in this category, and what we've said is 
The definition of that good standard is great liquid, unadulterated liquid, a commitment to where it came from, the ground that it came out of, and also the people who help produce it. So that's really what we're about. You had a quote in one of your um, interviews uh, with an industry publication. You said, we're going to make the right decision, not the cheapest decision. That's true. And every step along the way, you know, uh, for example, with these labels or with the, there's a little strap of plastic across the top. Our plastic is biodegradable plastic. So every step along the way, we chose the right course of action as opposed to the cheapest course of action. And, you know, big corporations sometimes get misdirected and they become very good at cost per unit and they become overly focused on cost per unit. And they make lots of decisions uh, based on just pure cost. We didn't do it that way. So what we did was say, here's the, the ethos of what we want. And if we can make a good, attractive business out of that, then everyone else should be able to too. Okay. So what are consumers saying? What kind of feedback are you getting? The reaction has been incredible. We get these incredible tasting awards. And, you know, the first one came out, it was like 98 or 97. And the next one was 98. And the next one was 99. So the the taste profile is incredibly positive, well-received. And in fact, uh, I'll tell you a little funny anecdote here. We, we were talking to a distributor in Australia top distributor in Australia. And uh, they said uh, at one point, well, look, we have a tasting panel, top bartenders in Sydney and um, Melbourne. It's a killer group of people. They're going to taste Manhattan and we'll come back and advise you of the reaction, their reaction to, to the tasting. We all hung up. And we were in a room together in a conference room. We said, we got them, you know, uh, you know, uh, game over. <laughs> three days later, three days later, they called back and they said, we want a thousand, ca- a thousand cases. <laughs> That's great. How do we get a thousand cases of it? And every time, every time we have gone to a tasting panel of, it doesn't matter who it is, where it is. Uh, we, we know it's game over. We, we've, uh, we've won. I know that you got certification from Tequila Aficionado. And so that was one, I'm sure that, why was that important? Is that um, It was important because it, it addresses this issue of additives. And uh, what, what they do is uh, really try to monitor the quality of the liquid. It's because of the fact that ultimately you're dealing with a plant. And so much depends upon how many days of sunshine. How many days of rain? What was the terroir of the vineyard, right? What was the angle, the, the, either the grape or the agave plant? Where was it in terms of the angle to the sun? All of these factors uh, determine the amount and the quality of the natural sugar that's in the plant. So now you buy your tequila, and we're very careful about where we source the agave from. And by the way, the, the agave that we uh, buy is uh, coming from ground that is, hasn't used pesticide, it hasn't used herbicides, 
uh, so there are flowers growing in it. Right. So that's what we require. We get the agave. We carefully screen where it's coming from, what part of the terroir it was, all of that, because we need to have a certain amount of natural sugar in the plant in order for us to make the quality of tequila that we we do make. And uh, there are measures of the natural sugar that are in each of the agave plants. So now, what happens if you don't have enough of those natural sugars? Well, you add sugar, right? So a lot of our competitors and a lot of people in the industry add sugar to the process, or they add something else called glycerin, which is a form of sugar, or they add caramel to give it coloring to make it look like it was in a cask longer than it in fact was. The only thing that's in our bottle is spring water from an aquifer near the uh, the mountains where we source the agave. It's the juice of the agave plant itself, including the natural sugars that are in that plant. And it's a little, little bit of yeast, uh, a, a proprietary yeast that we use to convert the natural sugar into alcohol. That's our commitment to our uh, consumers that we don't cut corners. And, you know, we had this phrase, non compromisos, no compromises. So we make no compromises on the quality of the liquid and we do not adulterate it. So what a tequila aficionado does is really call out people who are adulterating uh, the product and say, hey, these guys are using sugar and they're putting tons of sugar. They're putting glue. And by the way, the reason that they're doing that is that people associate smoothness with higher quality. So the question is, how did you achieve smoothness? Did you do it naturally the way we do it? Or did you do it by adulterating the product? That's a long answer to the question you have asked. It is. But I love, but let's to, to package it in a little tiny comments. No detail is too small for you. Exactly and, right. And, and the importance, of, and then you have absolutely commitment to traceability, authenticity, and transparency. Completely. So that's a great segue to that you, on a social basis, you have carefully selected um, groups to work with, such as the Women's Earth Alliance and Wales of Guerrero. Is it Guerrero? Guerrero. 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 Yes, I got that right. That's where it's in southern Mexico where the uh, whales breed. The whales are incredibly, uh, someone told me a statistic about the their ability to process carbon dioxide out of the the um, atmosphere is like multiples more efficient than forests. So, and you know, each whale is like a uh, the whales are just mind-bogglingly efficient at taking carbon out of uh, the atmosphere. So, what we've done is supported the people in Wales of Guerrero, and what they do is hire local fishermen. And the fishermen are, are, are really hired to prevent people from bothering the whales <laughs> okay. while they're in, uh, you know, their mating rituals in, uh, in southern Mexico. So it's a, it's a way of encouraging the locals to, to really value these visitors because the visitors are so important for all of us. And, and then Women's Earth Alliance. And I'm curious, how did you pick these two? So what does Women's Earth Alliance do? And then how did you select both of these? Probably now, I would say 60% of the people who work for us are women. 
we really have a commitment to female leadership and to supporting female leadership in the in, in this little industry. We have a commitment to that locally in Mexico as well, with the because uh, we're very keen about the families of the people who cut the agave. You're almost like um, Yvonne Chouinard in Patagonia. I mean, many years ago. I mean, you're just it's, it's almost every single element of the company, you know, from the ingredients to the traceability to the community to the land um, is purposeful. So, you know, again, you've got a lot of CEOs that may say, well, you know, I'm my next stage of my career. I really want to do something different. What do you say to them? I don't want to sound like uh, I'm, you know, some sort of. Uh, you don't need a Pollyanna. You know, wearing sandals. Yeah, and no, around this, with, uh, you you're, know. You're talking about value creation. This is exceptional uh, value, value, value creation. creation and doing both. So how do you do both? How do you have a successful business and successful against any standard you can imagine and run ethically. How do you do that? And that's the, te- that's the test we've undertaken. So I want to ask you a, it's a little bit of a harder question, which is that this is a premium priced product. Yep. And you're looking for a premium customer and a premium, you know, a uh, bar or establishment to sell it. If you can't get that margin, if you were back on the board at Bacardi and you're saying custodian for you know over a hundred years of these brands, how do you convince or entice a more traditional brand or enterprise to embrace this level and approach to value creation? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I'm also on the board of Mattel, and and Mattel is that's not 160 years, but it's certainly 60 years. Uh, and, you know, the most successful children's brand probably in the world with Barbie, absolutely committed to the best ethical behavior, absolutely committed to it. So it's part of the ethos of the company. So I'm I'm delighted to be on the board. I'm delighted to be. I've been on the board for probably 15 years. You know, we've gone through a variety of of transitions of CEO, but everyone who's come in has bought into that ethos. And um, so I think it is possible uh, to do both. It is possible for mature companies to do it. Uh, It begins with the presumption that, hey, this is really the ethos of the brand. It's It's not something that's kind of tacked onto the brand. It is the brand. It is the brand. Obviously, we're talking about commitment and ethos and real authentic commitment. I'm sure when you're, at least you're on the Mattel board, that some of the board members probably are not as committed as you are. And and we can call it ESG or we can call it social responsibility or sustainability. What do you say? I'm sure you've had arguments about, you know, we want like ocean plastic Barbie and, you know, those cost more. And so what do you, what's, if you cannot, you know, tell any secrets, but, you know, when you have those conversations, how do you convince your colleagues that may not be as passionate and committed to um, authentic ESNG? What do you say to them? I think that the people we bring onto the board buy into it. And one of the things that most attracts them is that commitment. So 
it's self-selecting. It becomes self-selecting, right? Uh, you know, you, you're not out looking for board members, you know, just because they went to Harvard Business School. You're, you're looking for board members who really value this and buy into it and, uh, and get it. They get it, right? And I think that's the key. I'm just curious because B Corp is working in terms of when you talk to you know, establishments that are selling your product. But again, what are what is the story to the consumer? And then how are you? Because it's a long story and it's a rich story. So you're probably using different levels of the story for different types of communications for the consumer. So what are you recommending to others who are going to create a purpose at the center, new brand, or they're going to evolve their brands? Number one, it has to be authentic. You can't fake it. And faking it may be worse than not even trying, right? That, um, in fact, I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story. When I was starting, I, I spoke to somebody and, uh, and a potential investor. And this guy, uh, we were talking about just what we were talking about, the quality of the liquid and, and how, you know, there are all kinds of tricks in the industry to tweak it. And we don't partake in those tricks and and this guy said well look uh, one of my favorite brands is the one you mentioned that is loaded with sugar he said i like it i you know i drink it i I don't mind that it's loaded with sugar and i said well that's great but the people that we speak to they do mind so it becomes almost self-selecting the consumers who don't care are not going to be interested in mahenta the people who do care are going to be interested and, and, you know, I think we don't have to have every person who drinks tequila drink Mahenta. We just have to have the ones who really believe in our ethos. And those are the people we talk to and, uh, and they get it. And, you know, the other thing that I really like, Carol, is uh, I've, I use this phrase now, fellow travelers, right? You know, we keep talking to them about, hey, there must be things we can do to help each other. Brightling, by the way, the watch company, um, fantastically interested in sustainability. Uh, we've done a number of things with them, uh, events in Holland, Amsterdam, because they, they, they get it. They really get it. We view each other as fellow travelers, you know, on the same, on the same mission, the same mission. Great. I love that. So we unfortunately have to, to, bring this to a close, but this has been just a, you know, you are so committed and I love the fact that you, it makes you so excited for the next stage in your career. What are the three most important things you would like to share with someone thinking about, hmm, I want to start my own company. I really want to do something differently. I want to support ESG. What would you suggest? Number one, it has to be really authentic. Uh, number two, uh, it can't just be ESG based. It has to be, you have to know enough about the industry. You have to know the ins and outs of whether it's fashion or whether it's uh, alcohol or skincare, whatever it may be. You can't be a novice in the industry. You, you have to really do your homework. Uh, you have to talk to people who are vetted experts in the industry. And then you have to weld the two pieces together so that they're seamless and you can't you can't just be esg uh and you can't just be an old industry hand you have to really wed them together and wed them from day one and then you have to be committed to it because there's there's always the uh the temptation to cheat 
And, and I think you, you have to be absolutely militant about the mission and, and the commitment to no compromises. That's absolutely fabulous. So, you know, authentic. Um, well, the two pieces, it's beyond ESG. It's how you truly manage your operations, treat your people, source the, you know, work with the planet, um, and know the industry really well. And then I love the fact of, you know, be militant, be committed because there will be bumps in the road and temptations and, and temptations. temptations, temptations to, to, uh, really veer, veer off the mission. Okay. Veer off the mission. This has been absolutely, dare I say, delicious. I love That's the conversation. Cool. So, so Mike, and and um, what would you like to just say, uh, to, you know, closing this great conversation? Well, I, one, I want to thank you for the opportunity uh, to talk, and and I, I applaud you for what you're doing, uh, you know, on these topics and reaching into kind of a broader uh, audience. So, uh, I think you're you're doing great work in this to to promulgate these uh, the topics that we we have talked about and and I really do think that you know what uh, I started this with the the notion that hey we would do something that others would benefit from others in the industry would benefit from I think what you're doing as well is you're exposing some of the things that we're doing to people who are not just in this industry but to other industries Absolutely. And there may be lessons learned in what we're doing and have done that may be applicable to them because we're all in this for the same. We, we all have the same goal. And the goal is? The goal is a better world. It's a, be- a better world for, you know, your children and your children's children and the preservation of the planet and the the uh, just the care and feeding of uh, our fellow human beings. And. You can do it creating a brand new sustainable brand that is very authentic. And so, and, 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 and but Carol, and yeah. profitable. And, and that's profitable. what I was going to say. I was going to say that there is value in this. This is not just when I started doing this, Mike, in the 80s, I was patted on the head and saying, Aren't you sweet? And for 20 years, I toiled in terms of trying to say, No, this is about strategic. This is about engagement. And I've always, always been ahead. And, and that's what we did. We've did off, done over 31 pieces of research. So, um, you know, right now we've got, I'll give a little plug. We have a new research tool called EPIC and EPIC stands for Employee Purpose IQ. And we're going to be working with companies so that they can see what is penetrated in terms of their purpose into their employees. So Michael Dolan, it has been a pleasure. Um, you are on an amazing journey. I want to have you back in at least a year or so to give us an update and say how everything right. is going, if, if you will do that. Love to. That's great. And All so, right. love to do it. Yeah, and, and of course, we need to say to our listeners, guys, guys, gals, all your friends, go out and try this amazing, amazing Mahinta. It's an amazing tequila. Thank you so much for, for joining Purpose 360. It was a great conversation. Thank you, Carol. Have a great day and a great weekend. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. 
Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also, please rate and rank us because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it, and activate it, and evolve it over time so it has the greatest impact on business, growth, and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.